Welcome to episode seven of the Independent Intel Podcast. I'm your host, Kimbudu Bomani, back with an array of topics to talk about on the NFL and NBA front. I want to give congratulations to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs, the organization, and the respective fan bases for crossing into Super Bowl territory. Bucks are back in the Super Bowl for the first time in nearly two decades. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Chiefs are going to try to execute their slogan that they've had coexisting all regular season long titled running back. They are the defending champs, raise the defender throne and go back to back, be the first back to back Super Bowl champion NFL team since the 03 04 Patriots. So big ups to them. Before we go in depth on how those two teams were able to be in the Super Bowl, we're going to want to give out a moment of silence and praise the life that Sekou Smith a focal point in Turner Sports Entertainment as an NBA insider, reporter, analysis, creator, content creator, I might add. He died because of COVID-19 complications. Yesterday afternoon, I had the fabulous opportunity to talk to St. Smith on a variety of occasions, whether it's on text, uh, phone-to-phone conversations. He actually gave us insightful in-depth analysis on two podcasts that I was a part of, this one currently, and then the last one that I had an affiliation with in terms of being with a variety of guys within my mass communications curriculum at Jackson State University. He's a Jackson State University alum, and he's one of the cool dudes in the industry that meant a lot to me. Um, He kind of looked at me as an individual that could be a credible contributor within the industry. He always told me, listen, be incorporated and involved with a lot of elements in multimedia journalism. Don't just pigeonhole yourself into one objective and one career goal try to be incorporated in multiple aspects of the industry. And from there, your talents can take off wherever you try to put them at. So I wanna give a moment of silence to him before I go on with a variety of topics on this episode seven of Independent Intel. So with that, let's make that happen. R.I.P. to say Smith, and here we go. So the AFC and NFC Championship games are now complete, and we're going to talk about the NFC Championship game at first, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going against the Green Bay Packers. And for Green Bay, this was the second consecutive year that they were in a na- National Football Conference Championship game, and for the second consecutive season, they came up out of it as a loser. Now, well, last year, their inability to stop the run was one of the main reasons why they couldn't get past the San Francisco 49ers. In this game, their defense was opportunistic. They were easily caught flat-footed on multiple occasions, including the vertical pass down the field from Tom Brady and Scotty Miller that put Tampa Bay up 21-10, which ultimately, you can arguably say, created a level of distance that Green Bay never was truly able to circumference and get by. But they had three takeaways. They had three takeaways. Tampa Bay's defense had two takeaways, but the difference in the football game were the points off of the takeaways. Tampa Bay, on their two takeaways, their offense, with a short field, I might add, was able to accumulate 14 points. That's two touchdowns. Green Bay, on their three takeaways, was only able to accumulate six points. That were two Mason Crosby field goals. And at times, that's all a playoff game can amount to. What you're able to do off of another opponent's miscues, are you able to make bank off of it or are you only able to make little to nothing off of it whether that's pennies loose change or damn near air because you didn't do anything with it 
And so, listen, Aaron Rodgers, from a statistical standpoint, played well, 348 yards passing, threw three touchdowns, but he also threw a crucial late first-half pick that opened the door for Tampa Bay, who was already up 14-10 to get more points. They did just that. Now, a lot of people feel like Alan Zord was wrongfully grabbed and prohibited from making a play on the football, and he was by Sean Murphy Bunting, who for a third consecutive postseason week came up with an interception. Uh, but refs didn't call it, and Tampa Bay, you know, may do what he do and scored on the next possession. And then late in the game when they were down eight, third and goal in the red zone, he decided not to run in for a touchdown when a running lane was wide open for him as he broke contained from the pocket. Instead, he broke contained from the pocket and tried to pull out his inner Brett Favre by throwing across his body to a covered receiver that was woefully incomplete. And on fourth down, everybody thought Matt before was going to go for it. I think on their own nine, it was long distance. But he decided to play the long-term game while going for some type of points and banking on his defense could get a stop. And the way the game was going in the second half, they were kind of getting stops. Tampa Bay offensively scored 21 points in the first half, but then only scored 10 points the second half. Nonetheless, Green Bay had an opportunity to get off the field, and they actually did get a stop on third down, but Kevin King pulled Tyler Johnson's back side of his jersey, prohibiting him from being able to make a play on a rather uncatchable football. That was all they wrote, and Green Bay pretty much sealed their fate in terms of getting a victory. So look, this is what Green Bay is at this point. They're a team that can get to a National Football Conference Championship game with Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback. They've done it the last two years with a different head coach, different philosophy. They're more balance-oriented. They like to run the ball first. Not run the ball first. They still rely on the arm of Aaron Rodgers, but they placated a little bit better by surrounding balance around him, prohibiting their defense from always being on the field, having to create stops that they normally can't do on a consistent basis. From a statistical standpoint, they had a top 10 defense. But I always feel like their defense underachieved despite the fact that they have immense talent on the back end and on the front end. I think that's more of a scheme-oriented issue. Mike Payton provided that fact when he decided to play man coverage on a on one of the arguably the last plays of the game where the intent isn't to get beat deep for a touchdown, is to put everything in front of you, whether it's inbounds or out of bounds. So all the opposition can do is, at the very least, at the very most, get a field goal. Nonetheless, the defense created three takeaways. They were getting moved on in the first half, but they created three second-half takeaways. And I'm not saying on all three of those second-half takeaways, you got to score seven, 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 meaning you got to get 21 points off of takeaways. But can you, if they scored at least one touchdown, off one of those three takeaways, they win. They win the game. They didn't at all. I don't know if they win the game, but they present themselves with a better opportunity to win the game. It may not have to come down to, do you decide to go for it on fourth down? And then if you do get it, you also got to get the two-point conversion. They didn't execute off the points off the turnovers. When they did decide to go for two early on in the game, where I feel like they didn't have to, this is when they were starting to cut the lead down even more. They didn't execute it. Uh, Equinemius St. Brown dropped the ball, although it was tipped at the point of trajectory in terms of the pass. And so that's that's how it is sometimes. And then when it came down to their players making plays offensively, those guys came up small. Yeah, Kevin King's the poster boy of ineptitude in the secondary, but Aaron Rodgers took that L as well. I thought him and Devontae Adams, the two best players on the team at the game were on, especially on that last drive, they didn't want to get hit. It was a passing play where Devontae Adams caught the ball, middle of the field, could have got extra yards to get the first down. He gave himself up. Now, granted, they wound up and got the first down later on that drive, but that same type of intensity carried over later on in that possession. Third down, Rodgers, third and goal, goal-to-goal distance, 
run that in, bro. Run it in. Run it in for the championship. You got to put your body on the line to get back to the Super Bowl. And he didn't do it. And at that point, that's when I realized, wow, Tampa Bay physically not only sent a message on the field by being able to get the Rodgers constantly dominated the line of scrimmage. You know, their left tackle situation with Dave Bakhtiari was always a question mark. They were able to survive against the L.A. Rams because the L.A. Rams get a majority of their pass rush from up the middle. But Billy Turner got walked to his grave because literally Shaq Barrett ate him to death. It was it was a tour de force when it came to pass rushing success. He had an opportunity to run it in. And I think he didn't do it because of an accumulating factor of getting hit and constantly pressured. It took a toll on him, and he Brett Favre did because Brett Favre did the same thing when the Saints played the Packers. Not the Packers, the Saints played the Vikings. He was getting hit consecutively throughout that game, and when it came down to him just running for some extra yards to make a field goal closer, he wanted to throw it across his body, and he got picked off. Now, Rodgers was lucky enough not to get picked off, but maybe LaFour is willing enough to go for one on fourth down if he feels like on fourth and goes a little bit closer. At the very least, bro, if you don't get it, it's fourth and go at the two. Because I think you cannot run that Amakin Sue. I think you cannot run JPP. I do. At, at those guys' respective ages, you can't. And the only guy I was kind of standing here with that could possibly beat you head to head was a corner, but he was covered up by your receiver. So you're going to get that touchdown. He didn't do it. And then after the fact, he's going to pontificate on, I don't know why LaFleur didn't go for it on fourth down. I don't know where my future lies. And it's like, you don't have the power, in my opinion, to come with that energy because you also came up small as well. It's not like you didn't turn the ball over, albeit his receiver was impeded from going after it. It's not like down the stretch you was coming through and the defense sold you. It's not like you didn't get an opportunity to come through in the clutch. You did, and you didn't. And now here are the Packers. Where do they go from here? So after the game, Aaron Rodgers was pontificating about the fact that, you know, maybe this is the end for me. You know, even though I have two years left on my contract, I don't know what, what my future holds with the Packers. There's a lot of guys on the team that won't be back because their contracts are actually up. But I may be one of those guys too. No, you're not. Unless you force a trade. Because you have two years left on your extension where you're making dang near big-time bucks. Now it's bucks online with Jerry Goff, and there's been other quarterbacks that are younger than you and have gotten paid more dollars annually for the next few years of their contract that you have. And you feel like, I deserve more because I had a 48-5 season with an MVP award vote on top. But Green Bay can say, last two years, man, we've been to the NFC Championship, and we haven't got out. We lost to the Niners and the Bucks. Lost to a Niners team who had a quarterback that threw the ball nine times. We lost to a Buccaneer team who had a quarterback that threw three second-half interceptions. We lost to those guys. Now, granted, last year we lost to the Niners because we couldn't stop the run. But, hey, you sold yourself short as well in the passing game. And then we lost to the Buccaneers who gifted us three opportunities with their miscues to not only get back in the game, but win it, and you only got a six points. A lot of that was on scheme by LaFleur. I thought he should have put Rodgers on the move, especially after the first two drives where it was pretty obvious. Billy Turner could not block anything. Let's bring Rodgers away from the blind side and have him move outside the pocket to make a read. They did that when they were put on their own goal line, and it worked out perfectly. They got the first down on a connection to the sidelines with Lazard, and then they started running those concepts. They also ran the ball on the perimeter. Crackback tosses to their halfbacks. Worked perfectly on, on one possession. 
that allowed him to score a touchdown to cut the deficit from 18 to 11. They stopped running those types of actions earlier on. Elements in the game where you saw, wow, they have something here. They ran it about a couple times. And then after that, they were like, nah, maybe we're just going to play them straight up. You can't play Tampa Bay straight up. As undisciplined as they are, they still are athletic. They still are fast. And they still are powerfully strong. You want to beat Tampa Bay defensively, you have to make him think, make him move. If you think dropping back and throwing on that pass rush, I don't care how late in, it, late in his career Nadam Domkin is. I don't care how late in the career JPP is. Shaq Barrett used to be a sack champion a year ago. If you think I just draw back in the pocket and throw 30 times and I'm going to be all right with a makeshift O-line, you're mistaken. But maybe if you use that makeshift O-line to your advantage by allowing those guys to be on the move as runners on the perimeter, allowing them to be able to be on the move in terms of flowing with riders as he throws outside the pocket. Yeah, but if you think we can just line up and beat them, no. Can't run up the middle against Tampa Bay. That's their strength. They're stout there, especially with Vivita Vega back in the lineup. Not going to be able to drop back and just stay in the pocket and throw on them because JPP and Shaq Barrett are killing your tackles. And, yeah, you may be able to be successful against their press coverage concepts because from a long extended period of time, I like what Murphy Bunning and I like what Carlson Davis have done so far in their careers, but they're not all world corners. It's not like Revis and Gilmore out there on islands. They can get beat. They can get got. But there's also a chance that they can make a play. There's a chance that your receiver can drop the ball. I just feel like schematically, they could have created more avenues to be successful offensively. They chose not to do so, put them behind the eight ball. So, yeah, Kevin King's easily escaped. Well, yeah, Matt LaFour sold the bag. But Aaron Rodgers was given the keys to succeed. And what I mean by that is LaFour decided not to make any adjustments because he felt like, you know what, got Aaron Rodgers. Make it happen. Your physicality to Tampa Bay defense against my all-world MVP, Aaron Rodgers. I trust Aaron, right? And Aaron didn't get it done. So where should Green Bay go from here? Look, I'm not trading. You know what? Time out. I'm not acquiescing to any Aaron Rodgers demand. He can act for a race. He can, well, let me write it a little different. I'm not extending Aaron Rodgers because he's he's about to be 37 years old next year. Yeah, he went 48 and 5 from a touchdown interception ratio. He did do that. Greatness. He's going to win MVP. Kudos. But when I drafted Jordan Love, I basically told Aaron, you're on the clock. And since he basically gave me the same result I had last year, and he had a better year than he had last year, wow, what would I look like extending three extra years to a 37 year old quarterback that I got to be economically tied to until he's 42? So even if he falls off a cliff and he decides to retire out of the blue. That's money from a dead cap standpoint. I got to stick with. And yeah, maybe you can eventually wind up and trade him later. But guess who's coming up? Jair Alexander, one of the better cornerbacks in all the football. You you hit on that in the draft. He's coming up. Darnell Savage is playing pretty well. In about a few years, he's going to come up too. You've got younger guys on your team that are coming up. And you have a young quarterback that you can put in there on a cheap rookie contract to where you can pay those guys and wait on him. But you got to see what that young quarterback can do. So Rodgers wound up and backpedaled a little bit from that sap song of, oh, my gosh, my times are numbered. Now he's saying, you know what, economically, feasibly, I ain't going nowhere. So I'll be here as long as they want to keep me here. Now, if the money reports are true, which is what a lot of people from Pro Football Talk and other internet avenues are saying, I'll get to do the one-year extension. If he's asking two years or more, I'm not doing it. And... If that's the trigger 
were for him to be like, you know what, trade me. Okay, trade him. Trade him to the Dolphins or the Jets. And be like, you know what, give me your top five pick. And just like that, you got a top five pick that you can use to get a talented player that you can implement on your offense to surround young quarterback Jordan Love. Or you can use that pick to trade down, accumulate more draft assets to fill out the rest of your roster. Because you're in a division known as the NFC North that has three teams that are amidst either a full rebuild or coming damn near close to it in the next two seasons. Detroit's going to have a new quarterback. They're not going to be good for the next two years. Chicago's going to have a new quarterback. And if that new quarterback is a placeholder, they are eventually going to be back in the market for another young quarterback in the next two years. They're not going to be a legit contender. Minnesota has the quarterback in Cousins, but he won't be here beyond next season, in my opinion. This is his last year with the team. That's what I'm thinking. And while offensively they have the skill position weapons in Cook, and Thielen and Jefferson, their old lines hit or miss. Their D line outside of Daniel Hunter can't rush the pass or stop them on to save their lives. And their secondary is very green. And they're in the process of possibly not having Anthony Harris, maybe even trading Harrison Smith too. So you're in the driver's seat to basically segue into a rebuild to where you could still be competitive because your division will suck. So do it. If you have an avenue to do it, do it. But I think what probably will happen is he'll ask for a raise. If it's a year, do it. If it's more than a year that he wants, trade him. Get draft compensation back, start your rebuild because you're in a division where you can rebuild and still be competitive. And I think Green Bay without Aaron Rodgers is a pretty talented roster. Now, championship contender, no, because we have to see the trajectory of Jordan Love as a quarterback. But Devontae Adams is still going to be in his prime. And the way he plays from a route standpoint, even when he's outside of it, he still can be a 1,000-yard receiver. A.J. Dillon, when he played, he's a little bit slow. But I think with some slimming down, he could be a focal point within your rushing offense. Your O-line, when it's relatively healthy, has showed some type of promise. And then defensively, you got a stud in Jair and a stud in Darnell Savage. You got pieces in the secondary to work with. I think round out that D-line a little bit more by getting younger there. But yeah, they have wiggle room to rebuild and be productive. So if I'm Green Bay, not just consider it if you have to make it happen. Now in the AFC Championship game, we have the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. And the biggest thing I want to say is Kansas City is arguably one of the more slept on defending Super Bowl champions in recent memory. If you compare how people gave New England an outlook as they headed into the playoffs as a 12 and 14 last year. They were more respected coming into the playoffs of the defending champ than KC ever was all year. What I mean by that is this. I think a lot of that had to be attributed to the fact that Bill Belichick won multiple rings and so did Tom Brady. Great quarterback, head coach duo. So even though we saw, yo, their O-line's kind of suspect, Brady seems like he's declining. They literally have no weapons. They don't run the ball particularly well. Defensively, they went from elite the first eight weeks to Dang, they're average the next eight. Guys are thinking, well, they got Brady and Belichick, so they can at least get to the AFC Championship. And maybe they can compete for a title. Then when they lost to the Titans, that's when everybody was like, wow. They still got a pass. They still kind of got out. It's like, man, they lost to the – man, they lost to the Titans. Brady had nothing. I'm like, yeah, you really didn't have nothing all year. But everybody ignored that because it's like, it's Tom Brady, it's Bill Belichick, they'll make it work. Kansas City brought back the same team. Except Wisniewski, I think that's his name. An offensive line was the only guy that didn't come back. They lost a couple of guys. Their doctor, who was a ta- who was a guard, he didn't come, and Damian Williams, he didn't he didn't play. But
But for the most part, their core three skill position guys were back. And they basically inevitably almost ran the table, sat starters in the last game of the year. And then because of a slow start against the Vegas Raiders, they lost to those guys in a pretty close game. That came down to a Derek Carr quarterback sneak. All I heard was, nah, they're playing with fire. They can get got in the postseason. And I'm like, if you're watching these guys play, and Travis Kelsey validated my perspective by going on, by going on Shannon Sharp's podcast and saying, you know what? You know what, Shay? We've been waiting for the postseason since forever. After we won the championship coming to the new year, we knew we wanted to defend the title, but it got to a point where we we're just waiting to get back into the playoffs to where the real season begins. And they actually played like that. Outside of the first month of the season, where it seemed like for the first four games, they wanted to prove a statement, especially against Houston and Baltimore. We still that team. They coasted. They really coasted. I think they coasted to the point where they allowed Vegas to beat them. Now, I think the second time they played Vegas, Vegas might have been the only team from start to finish they played straight up. Like, they were really invested. And I got to give Las Vegas incredible credit because offensively they have the scheme to go toe-to-toe with the Chiefs offensively because they run the ball particularly well. Derek Carr is pretty good as a quarterback in play-action passing personnel, and they get stuff done out of that action. Now, defensively, they don't run the pass particularly well. Secondary is pretty green, and they don't really stop the run very well. Defensively, they're a work in progress. And I think ultimately, you're not going to track me Kansas City and expect to win. It's not going to happen unless Kansas City turns the ball over, which they didn't do. Ultimately, it became a track meet. Who had the ball last? Kansas City, meaning what? They're going to win. From a front-to-back standpoint, I think long-term, the Los Angeles Chargers are going to be a team that can match up with Kansas City the best because your quarterback playing Herbert, defensive scheme with their front four, mainly with Bosa and Ingram. But we can talk about the intricacies of that later, especially is Duran James finally going to play because he hasn't played in two years. But, yeah, I mean – they coasted against Tampa. Like, they showed up in the first quarter. Once they got up, they kind of just took the foot off the brakes. And not took the foot off the brakes. Um, basically, break the car. And then in the fourth quarter, when the game got tight because Tom Brady came back and made it one possession game, Mahomes is like, all right, let me put my big boy pants on and close the deal by converting on two consecutive third downs late in the game. Did that game over. Saints showed up for the first half. Then after Mahomes got whacked around a little bit and the Saints kind of made it a one-possession game, that's when the Kansas City Chiefs were like, okay, let's invest. Boom, 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 get this first down, game over. The only game that they really didn't show up for, and it showed, which I think is why a lot of fans went overboard in terms of their critique of this performance, they didn't show up at all against the Falcons, at all. And it showed because Atlanta jumped ahead, and even though Kansas City came back because the Atlanta Falcons are known to blow leads, they still had a chance to lose. A.J. Terrell dropped an easy interception late in the game that could have sealed it. And they got in field goal position to send an overtime. Young Way Koo just missed. They didn't show up at all against the Falcons. But that's it. The, a lot of these one-position games that guys are talking about, they dominated Tampa Bay for a half. They dominated the Saints for a half. They dominated the Dolphins for a half. They allowed the other team to get back in it because they stopped being invested. You see it all the time with great teams all over. Golden State, especially in this in this more present-day modern era format. Golden State with KD was so unbeatable that they took nights off, literally. Like, they took quarters off. And then when the game kind of got tight and the opposition felt like they had hope, that's when they rose back up and took their heart. 
That's what the Chiefs did all season. So I never took this one possession thing. They should be worried serious because I knew in the postseason they were going to be invested. And when Patrick Mahomes was on the field, they dominated their opponents. Now, when he's not on the field, like against the Browns and Chad Haney comes in, he got a shot. But when he's on the field, he ain't doing nothing with that as an opposition. And Buffalo found it out the hard way. Now, Buffalo got to this point because they were fortunate that Indianapolis didn't convert on red zone opportunities in the wild card. And then against the divisional round, they had a perfect defensive formula to neutralize a quarterback who's limited as an accurate passer from the boundary perspective. Kansas City is a team that executes pretty well in the red zone when they're invested and they are in the postseason and they have a quarterback that can make all the throws. So defensively, how are you going to scheme against that? How are you? And what the Chiefs basically did was they played zone and rushed four. The four kind of got there, but when they got there, they only got there in ones. So one guy got there. Mahomes made that guy miss, threw in the opening of the zone. Boom. That's why Kelsey ate two touchdowns over 100 yards. That's why Tyreek Hill ate. Buffalo basically said, we're going to take away the vertical passes down the field. You're going to have to beat us driving the length. We'll give you the underneath stuff. We'll give you the middle of the field. We'll see. And Kansas City's shown they can, they can take your heart in a blink of an eye on a slow, long-footed draw down the field. They, they're like that. They're like that, which meant offensively, Buffalo had to keep those guys off the field. And they couldn't because Buffalo throughout the postseason has struggled to run the football. And I think a lot of that is because they don't have a guy that they can give it to 20 times a game and he can run between the tackles and get the tough yards. Devin Singletary is too small. He's too small, not enough bricks. And Zach Moss, who was their physical bat that, you know, gained heavy traction towards the end of the year. He initially got nicked up against the Niners in the regular season. And then against the Colts in the first round, he was done. Like, he got hit on a crazy, awkward tackle. Never was really the same. I don't think he played in the next round. He for sure didn't play in the AFC Championship because TJ Yeldon was out there. And at this point in his career, TJ Yeldon is a great receiver out of the backfield. So, damn it, Josh Allen had to make something happen. And Josh Allen was 28 or 48, threw for 280 plus yards. He threw for two touchdowns, but he threw a pick. And while I feel like Josh Allen came a long way as a passer from an accuracy standpoint, he has a long way to go in terms of heightening his pocket awareness because it sucks. It's horrible. He takes the worst sacks in all of football. He's the type of dude who will be in the pocket when the rush comes instead of throwing it away. He'll backpedal, 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 backpedal. Then as he's getting sacked, try to stiff arm the D tackle or throw out of the sack a completion. Can't do it, bro. Can't do it. The greats, Manning. The greats, Brady. The greats, Mahomes. They take their L's. And a lot of those sacks happened because the underneath routes were there and he just didn't want to take them in the first half. And the second half, he started to take them, but then the rush came in, in droves. And then he tried to will his way to complete a ball amongst a heavy rush. And he gets sacked. He, he got sacked five times, and about three of them were stupid because the pressure's there. Throw it away. He didn't want to do it. And so at that point, you need to be able to run the football particularly well. Like I said, they weren't able to. They've been riding the arm of Josh Allen since the first game in the playoffs. He played well against the Colts because the Colts secondary is pretty average. Baltimore secondary is a little bit tougher, so they made his passing windows a lot tighter. He had to throw cats over from a consistency standpoint. He couldn't do it. I guess the Chiefs, schematically, they double-team digs, man-covered everybody else, and then their front four got home in due time. 
So this narrative, however, with the Bills, which is, you know what, they need another receiver and they need another pass rusher. I do think that another pass rusher may be inevitable if their top two first-round picks from the last few drafts don't develop. Ed Oliver's been in the league for two years. I thought he'd take that next step this season. He hasn't. AJ Espinosa, who they took in the first round, maybe the late early second, middle second, he was a rotational guy. And I liked him coming out of Iowa. He wasn't really a factor in their pass rushing rotation. So I'd consider taking a D lineman in the first round if one is there of value. But I think the thing that they need the most isn't a receiver because Cole Beasley was an all-pro slot guy. And he was an all-pro slot guy despite the fact that he was unhealthy. And he was playing with a broken fibula for a while. And he played particularly well against Kansas City. He was effective on a broken bone in his leg. Gabriel Davis has replaced John Brown. I don't think John Brown is going to be on the team for the foreseeable future because with Brown without an injury, Gabe Davis, their second-round rookie from UCF, he came in and ran the same route concept that John Brown ran effectively. Great vertical weapon downfield. But he got hurt against Baltimore. So he was rendered pretty much ineffective against Kansas City in the AFC Championship. They're fine at receiver. If they want to add somebody else from a depth perspective to maybe back up Gabe Davis, or maybe another guy that can run Cole Beasley's tight route concepts, fine. But they got their lead dog in, in Diggs. I think you got a nice vertical complimentary throw on the other side in Gabe Davis. And you got a slot maestro in Cole. They need a running back that they can hand the ball off to 20, 25 times. They can get five, six tough yard games because they have an old line, I think, can run and pass by pretty well. They just need a back that can be productive out of that. Ideal fit, Najee Harris is regarded as the best back in the draft. He's going to probably be there late in the first round. I'd take him above Buffalo. You add Najee Harris to that offense, I think they're a little bit more productive and they take the next stuff. But ultimately, I thought Buffalo was a year away anyway. They'd be a dark horse. They'd win the AFC. They'd win some playoff games. They could be a threat in the postseason. They were. They need a back that's a little bit more physical, has bricks in his belt than the guys that they have now. And they probably need another corner because Trey White took a step back. And they kind of rotated the number two cornerback spot. Teron Johnson got some PT. He was highly regarded at times and lowly regarded at other times. Levi Wiles was a cool story, but maybe he's just a depth guy at this point. I think maybe that's his NFL trajectory. Have two underrated safeties on the back end, Poyer and High, probably the best underrated duo in all of football. Need another secondary piece of partner with White. It gives you coverage flexibility on that back end. Their front seven just going to have to step up. Tremaine Edmonds. Started off slow because he was hurt. Matt Milano is a stud. They're going to have to re-sign him. I like what they have in the front four. Those guys are going to have to produce. Maybe Ed Oliver is going to have to come along. Maybe Ed Oliver has a Sheldon Rankins type career. Where early on in his rookie contract, he doesn't show. But then later on in his rookie contract, he does. Maybe Buffalo is going to get that type of benefit. We'll see. But yeah. Now, from a Super Bowl perspective, Tampa Bay and Kansas City. I think Kansas City is going to win by double digits, and here is why. The Chiefs, man, they're, they're unbelievable. They're unbelievable. When you have an all-time young quarterback, you have an all-time quarterback period, it just gives you offensive flexibility to do a multitude of things. And then as a team, it just gives you the flexibility to have a miscue and always know we're always in it because we have this unbelievable talent at the helm that can always put us in a game because he can make a variety of throws across the field. And the way the Chiefs call their offense, me and my dad was kind of talking about this when we were watching the game. They call it like Patrick Mahomes is Alex Smith, where it's a lot of bubble screen, 
gimmicky type offensive route concepts. But you have a quarterback that can still lure you to sleep with those type of reads because he'll hit you with those play in, play out, play in, play out, play in, play out. And then three plays later, he's over your head with a deep shot down the field for a touchdown. And so when I hear guys say, man, Kansas City might be in trouble, man, that offensive line, not going to have Eric Fisher, who I think guys are overrating because Eric Fisher, for the most part of his career, has been a bust. He went number one overall and arguably one of the worst drafts in recent memory, 2013. Now he panned out later on in his second contract to be better than what he kind of was early on. But, but their best tackle was Mitchell Schwartz, and they haven't had him all year, most of the year. So I think they'll be fine. And why I, mean, why I think I, they'll be fine is because Andy Reid's going to scheme that thing up to where Barrett and Pierre Paul, they'll be in the backfield because they're talents and they're going against backups. They'll be in there, but they won't live in there because Mahomes is always going to be on the move. And they're going to run a lot of misdirections on the perimeter with Tyreek Hill on reverses and Miko on reverses, pitch. They're going to fake reverses. They're going to make those ends think because Kansas City, their running game is wherever they feel like running. They'll run on the perimeter. They'll run up the middle. They'll fake the perimeter and then run up the middle. They'll fake the run up the middle and then run up the perimeter. They'll run all over the field. So they're not going to be like Green Bay, which is we're going to stick to running up the gut, and that's it. No, they're going to run up the gut to the sides. They're going to make David and White think, flow. They're going to make Pierre Paul and Barrett flow and think. Second guess rushing up field to get them homes because they also have to pay homage that Tyreek or Nicole can get right by him when he rush up the field. They're going to add complexity to that. Tampa Bay defense that, in my opinion, isn't the most disciplined and isn't the most smart. And that's what you got to do with a defense like Tampa that's aggressive, led by the D.C. Tie Bulls, physical, emotional, underrated, but they're not disciplined. So if you can get behind them by loading them some sleep with some candy and then hit them in the back of the mouth with a right hook to their tooth, you got them. And so this game is ultimately going to come down to Kansas City's offense and Tampa Bay's defense. I know Tom Brady at this point in his career, he's going to have a quarter or a half where he plays well. But the days of him playing outstanding for four quarters, those days are over. Especially against the elite defenses, they're over. And Kansas City's defense, why isn't, from a statistical standpoint, better than New Orleans or Green Bay? They've shown that they've been and haven't broken a lot in the postseason. They're going to get there with four. They're going to play their man covers on the back end. They're going to contest throws. Honey Badger's going to make you think. He's going to make you guess. And so I know Tom Brady's probably going to give Tampa at the most three touchdown drives. What is Tampa Bay defense going to give up? I think they're going to give up five touchdown drives. I think Mahomes is going to have a great game. And I think Kansas City is going to go back to back. And I think once Kansas City goes back to back, they're going to get the respect they deserve. They've been slept on all year. They've been disrespected all season. And I think a lot of that is because when you see greatness at your doorstep, you don't want to acknowledge its legitimacy until you can't deny it anymore. And so when we think about dynasties, we think about New England, led by Tom Brady and Bill. Those guys don't exist anymore. But with that, that was slowly developing before a lot of us were born. It was reignited over time and then further established and then submitted. Three years ago, Kansas City was a cute Midwestern team in the NFL that made the playoffs. And if they played against a team with a weak quarterback, they'd win that one. They'd win that playoff game. And then they lose to a team with a better quarterback, with a better defense, with an offense that could make their strength buckle enough, which was defensively, and then an offense had to make a play. Couldn't do it. This team is explosive offensively under what a lot of people regard as one of the better head coaches on the offensive side of the football, Andy Reid. And defensively, 
they don't give up a lot of big plays when it matters. So they're always going to be in a football game because they can go nuclear at any time. And then defensively, they can hold you in a box and make you do things you don't want to do because you got to pay homage to the fact that we got to keep up with the offense. And so they're going to go back to back. They're going to win the Super Bowl. And then I think that's when individuals are going to realize, Mahomes is really that guy. I think that's when people are going to realize, dang, Kansas City's not going to go anywhere because guess what they're doing right now as they're in the Super Bowl? Guys are understanding, yo, like that core six, Mahomes, Tyreek, Travis, Chris Jones, Frank Clark, Tyron Matthews, they're not going anywhere. They're locked up for the next two seasons. While they may not go three in a row, they can win three of the next four, like Golden State did. So the almost impossible, which is parity in the NFL is a lot more regular than the NBA or other sports because the salary cap makes teams have to give up guys because you can't keep all 53 dudes every year. You can't keep all 22 starters every year. So yeah, Air Brashard Beeland won't be there anymore, but they got Legeria Sneed in a draft to replace him. Uh, guys can get hurt in the football because it's a physical contact sport. But these guys are going back to back because they kept their core intact another year. Guys stayed relatively healthy. You had nicks and bruises here and there. And they're at they're in the biggest game of all the football. And their strength is they can score at any rate. And it's just hard to hold that explosive of an offense down. Last time these two teams played, they played in the regular season. And Casey put 21 on him. And a lot of that is because Todd Bowles and his pride and his personnel was going to blitz him and play man. And Tyreek was toasting Carlton. So in this game, they'll play zone concepts and whatnot like Buffalo did. They're probably going to play the two cities deep. They're going to zone it up and they're going to make Mahomes go the length of the field. But he can do that. He just did it against Buffalo. But I think that's what you got to do. And I don't think that's going to be enough. So Kansas City is going to go back to back. They're going to run it back like they've been sloganing all year long. And that's what the NFL is going to be. From an NBA perspective, we're going to talk about the Utah Jazz. Now, Utah, they're in a peculiar situation. Not a peculiar situation, but an odd situation. They're the second best team in all of basketball. And they're the second best team in all of basketball because you're shooting the ball in an elite clip to coincide with their usual defensive dominance from a two-point and three-point defense perspective. Now, I was a main guy that was champ not champion but campaigning donovan mitchell you're not gonna win in utah because i didn't feel like his second option which is rudy gobert could score an offensively and he's still offensively inclined and i feel like the consular reports around him mike conley bojan bogdanovich those guys two olds jordan clarkson he's young but he's inconsistent and erratic so i just feel like offensively they just didn't have that second option he can lean on in the postseason where he's neutralized or has an off night. But so far, they've done it as a team, which is how they're going to have to do it to be successful. And last night when they played the New York Knicks, Donovan Mitchell scored only nine points, but four of the other five guys in the starting lineup scored in double digits. Royce O'Neal led the team at 20 points. Rudy had 18, 19, and four rebounds. Mike Conley had 19. But like I said before, they're shooting the ball at a clip that they normally haven't shot in the Quinn Snyder era. Their first and three-point makes, second and three-point percentage, their third and three-point attempts. So they're jacking it up at a high clip, and they're making them at a high clip. And so Utah shooting the ball at an irregular rate and playing defense and rebounding at a normal rate in terms of what they've been able to do customarily the past four or five years, Quinn Snyder's been on the team, that 13 and four in the first in the West. But the biggest thing, second in the West, I might add, 
outside of tonight because Donovan Mitchell will not play because of a concussion against Dallas. Their starting five's been their starting five through the first 17 games. They have been wrecked by COVID like Boston or Miami has. And when it's not COVID, they have been wrecked by normal basketball injuries. So their starting five, which kind of had continuity, but not that strong of a continuity last year, which is probably one of the main reasons why they didn't fare very well in the postseason. They're getting that back this year. Guys know their role, know what guys like, proponents, things of that nature. They went nine straight. They're 13 and four. And they're showing a tendency and an ability to where Donovan doesn't have to go nuclear for us to win. Now, Donovan, I do feel, is an elite talent. He's averaging 23 a game, shooting almost 40% from three. Offensively, he can score wherever on the court. He can go by you. He can score from the mid. He can spot up. He can pull up. He can hezzy you from deep. He is an elite offensive talent. I think he can take the next step in terms of making himself and his team better by affecting the game in other ways besides scoring. He had eight rebounds last night to go with his nine points, but he only had three assists. He could have been more influential as a playmaker out of the sets. And I understand he's thinking, and he's thinking what a lot of normal guys are thinking. Look, my center is a defensive anchor, but he's not scoring on anybody. I have guys on the program that can score as well, but they can't score as much as me. So I got to get 30, you know what I'm saying, for everybody else to get into the floor of the offense. You don't have to, bro. You can get 15 to 20 some nights and let the rest of the game come to you in a way where everybody else is impacting as well because they're winning. They're playing winning basketball. Now, it helps that three guys on the team are shooting 40% from three. That's Joe Ingles, that's Mike Conley, and that's Royce O'Neal. And last night when they played the Knicks, in a first half where Austin Rivers went berserk for New York, he scored 25, which inevitably made New York's offense play on an uptick. That Utah defense held the Knicks to to 35 points in the second half. Austin Rivers never scored again. And their, def- and their offensive trio of Royce O'Neal, Rudy Gobert, and Mike Conley combined from 20, combined for 20 or 37 from the field and scored a combined 57 points. Having moments like this in the regular season provides immense amount of confidence in the playoffs because in the playoffs, guys have long extended periods of time to schematically coincide with your best player's abilities so they can limit their productivity and make others beat you. As Shaq likes to call the others, they have to gain their stars and stripes in the regular season. So when the playoffs comes, they have the confidence, the wherewithal, and the reminder that, yo, when it's my time to make an impactful play, I can do that, and I can play at a relatively high weight. Utah's been able to do that throughout so far this season. It's why they're 13-4. and Can they maintain it in the playoffs? I still don't know. But it does help, and it does bode well that your role players are playing at a high obtained clip. If they're going to continue to play well, it's going to open up everything else in terms of the team's overall offensive upside and also the confidence level that they can exude heading into the postseason because they have a reminder. They have vivid proof that they've had certain games in the regular season where they had to pick up the slack to help the team win. Last but not least, Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks. More importantly, Giannis and his inability to get better as a player. So statistically, he's averaging 27, 10, and 5. Antetokounmpo's playing pretty well. He's got a steal a game and a block of game two to go along with it. But he's only shooting 58.9% from the free throw line. That's below 60% from the line where it's a free throw. No one's guarding you. You have a free opportunity to shoot the basketball and make it. And he still can't shoot a jump shot. So look, man, I said it on YouTube in the comic section when guys were analyzing Giannis's performance against the Lakers 
which I thought he played pretty well, but as the game grew on, his limitations showed because the Lakers keyed in on his driving ability and he was neutralized. And I think it's one of the reasons why Milwaukee lost against LA. If you weren't going to improve your basketball game and you're just going to basically settle to be a more dynamic Dwight Howard as a wing player, should have went to a different team because this constructed Milwaukee Bucks as a whole, I don't think it's good enough. And I think a lot of it is coaching. And I think a little bit of it is personnel. I think from a personnel perspective, Drew Holiday, I like him from a two-way standpoint, but he's not a point guard. They need a point guard that can allow them to run sets in the half court and allow Giannis to score the ball or get the ball in a variety of avenues across the floor. And Chris Middleton's having a career year. He's averaging 21 points. He's averaging six rebounds, five assists. He's, he's playing well, but 21, six, and five on my dad, but he's Chris Middleton. So that's about as good as Chris Middleton may get in his career. He's a very solid consulary star. But if your consulary star is going to be having more of an impact late in the game than your primary star, then what are we doing here? That means your primary star is limited and it hasn't gotten better. Giannis has been the same player the last three years. And what the playoffs has shown is that if they're not playing a team that they overwhelm in terms of total team talent, they're going to lose. Only reason why they beat Boston is because Kyrie and that unit was toxic with each other. Toronto built the wall. Miami built the wall. And I think if they play the Indiana Pacers in the playoffs, they'd build a wall to beat them. It's gotten that bad. And it's a shame because Chris Middleton was a guy that a lot of guys got on the last two years of being. He had to step his game up for the Morgan to take the next step. And he has. And Giannis hasn't. And I love Giannis. That's my guy. But if you're not going to improve your game, then why are we in Milwaukee? Are we just in Milwaukee to chase the bag and chase familiarity? That's fine. But if you're preaching, you want to be the best and you're not working on your game and you're not trying to put yourself in a position where if you're not going to work on your game, a team can utilize your strengths more effectively, then you're going to be Dwight Howard. With MVPs, with dominance, you're going to be a Hall of Famer. You're not going to be a winner. And that's where I'm at with Giannis. He's a great player, but this constructed Milwaukee Bucks team that is currently 10 and 6, by the way, in the Wheat East Conference could be Brooklyn, Philly, Boston, Indy. And it depends on what type of Miami we're getting. Is Jimmy Butler there? If Jimmy Butler's there, they can't beat Miami, but they can't. They can't. Now, because the East is weak, they'll probably be a two seed and get a favorable matchup in the first round. But then it's going to be the same song and dance again. And yeah, if Milwaukee doesn't get out the East, Boonholzer's gone. He's not going to be back. But then what? You're going to bring another guy in there that's going to run a similar offensive system and not challenge Giannis to get better as a player. This is where we're at now. I'm holding star caliber players accountable. I'm holding Giannis accountable. Two-time MVP, man. I'm judging you at a different standard. If you run the same song and dance again on the basketball floor, I'm not going to take you serious. And when I'm and once I don't take you serious, that's an issue. And so I'm, I'm getting mad when I see him play because it's like this dude really came back with the same game. Not going to get out the East. You're not. And I know Milwaukee was thinking, this was before the Brooklyn thing. Maybe they're thinking long game. Yo, in two years, Brooklyn ain't going to be there. Indiana probably will be another version of themselves. The only team I may have to worry about is Boston because Miami's best player is still, in my opinion, Jimmy Butler. Bam's making a push to be the team's best player, but they they just ain't got the dynamic skill sets on the wing like we got. So we can wait this out for the next two years and compete for a ring. As the NBA has shown, things can change in a hurry. So Milwaukee's window with the last two seasons. Should have been playing Golden State in the finals. 
should have been playing the Lakers in the finals. They didn't do it. And now there's no guarantee that the East is always going to be like this. Who says Brooklyn doesn't go on a two-year run? So that means two years into your new extension, you still ain't want to ring it. By then, Boston's big three could have already – not big three, but their dynamic duo in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown could already have developed, and they could have already got another consular star. Who's to say Boston doesn't get a Donovan Mitchell? And now they got a young trio. So improve your game like there's no tomorrow because in sports, like in real life, because sports is real life, things have a shelf life. So your run of dominance and team dominance and team consistency has a life in a window. You don't get better and you don't maximize it. You're done. It's over. And that would be a shame to see Giannis waste his career away in Miami, not Miami, in Milwaukee, because personnel-wise, they don't equip it enough to maximize his strengths. And he doesn't try to maximize the opportunities to perfect not perfect, but to improve his shortcomings into solid resources to utilize in the basketball game. And with that, we're going to wrap it up with Independent Intel Episode 7. I'll be back next week with Episode 8. Um, like I said before earlier on the podcast, I'll say it again. RIP to Sekou Smith. He was a real one in the industry. He had an opportunity to talk, so I'm going to text him about various projects I worked on so far in my young career. He will be forever missed. And when I have the opportunity to get to where I get to in this industry known as sports journalism, I'm always going to equate my success and ability to see the game at a different picture with him as being a very impactful individual as well. With that, I want to say to my viewers, I'll be back next week. Peace out. Enjoy you guys Thursday and Wednesday night. Sign off.